if you will take your Bibles and turn to the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 22. Very easy to find. Start in the maps and the concordance in the back and go left. And when you reach a chapter, you're there. We'll be looking briefly this evening at Revelation 22, winding up our time in Revelation, looking at some of the main themes here, not just in this chapter, but as, as they bring up the main themes of the book and of all of the Bible. Um, coming up in weeks to come, I think it's the next two weeks, uh, John will be preaching in the evenings. And then after that, we are going to begin the book of Jonah, uh, looking at the, the reluctant prophet or the uh, wayward missionary. But for now, let's take a look here at Revelation chapter 22, if you please give attention to the reading of the holy, inerrant, sufficient word of God. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. and They will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. 
The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you indeed are the one who is coming. We thank you, Lord, that we can await you with eagerness, longing for the day when we will be with you. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us hope, that we might persevere on. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, what I would like us to see this evening, just by way of, of wrapping up this book and our study of Revelation, is very briefly six themes that we see here in Revelation 22. The first is that we see an expectation of blessing that we will receive. The second theme that we see is the greatness of Jesus Christ. The third is the permanence of the promise of God. The fourth is the anticipation that we have of the nearness of the return of Jesus. The fifth is the invitation that is given to come. And then lastly, sixth, is the constancy of the promise of God. Well, let's begin then by looking at the expectation of blessing. We see this in the first five verses. The angel comes and shows John the river of the water of life. And something interesting happens here. We go from where we were in Revelation 21 in a city to now we're in a garden. There is a change that is occurring and we might first initially ask ourselves, why do we move from this great celestial city into this garden again? And the answer is given to us by what is focused on in the garden. That is the tree of life. There is an allusion here to paradise. God is wrapping up his book and he is showing us the, the permanence of it the continuity of it. Because we are meant to see in Revelation 22 a picture of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. We're meant to see that we have come full circle, that God has recreated the earth, that he has put right everything that was wrong. But there's more than that, isn't there? Because we don't just long and desire to be in the place of Adam and Eve, do we? What is the promise of the Bible? The promise is that we will be in a better place where there is more glory, 
where the Lamb is all the glory. And we are reminded of this, that really the tree of life itself in the beginning of Genesis is really a picture and an allusion to the true giver of life, Jesus. And we see this in what is found in the tree and its excellence. You'll notice that the tree there is there and it yields fruit. Now think about the type of fruit that it yields. It first yields fruit abundantly. It is fruit for all. Now, some of you have had the experience of having a tree on your property, perhaps a peach tree or a pear tree or some apple tree. And you know how that works with a tree. It, it has its season and the fruit begins to drop and it's, it's way more than you can eat with your family. So you gather them up in bushels or small bags or paper bags and you come and you take and you distribute them to friends and neighbors. And there's a plenty and a worth in that. But you never would consider, for example, making sure everyone in Katy had some, would you? Because there's just not enough. But you see, of this tree, there is no lack at all. There is never a want. And if we are honest and think about this, that answers a very deep need that we have. Because we are faced every day with a want here in this world. As we see that there are things outside of our power, outside of our knowledge, outside of our ability. But not so in glory. The fruit is not just abundant, it is also various. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I could live life only eating one kind of food. I love pasta with good sauce and meatballs. And I can eat it pretty often. I've told my wife, I could have that once a week, every week for the rest of my life. But I don't think I could have that three meals a day every day for the rest of my life. And God doesn't provide just one thing. He provides a plethora of fruit. It is 12 kinds of fruit, which I think is, again, symbolic. It's not that there are exactly 12, but the idea is that there, are, there is a variety in glory, in the tree of life. And then lastly, we see that this fruit is continual. It yields fruit, how often? Monthly. What tree do you know that bears fruit monthly? No. But that's the way the tree of life is. It is excellent. This is a blessing that we can look forward to and expect. And the reason that we can is brought up in the next section as it looks at the greatness of Jesus Christ. The angel describes the one who is about to come. And in verse 16 we see perhaps the great image here of Jesus at the end of this book. Jesus describes himself as the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. And I think this gives us an image both of, of who Jesus is and what he brings. Who Jesus is is he is the root of David, but he is also the descendant of David. Now, if that confuses you, you're in good company. He is the one who is the 
the beginning of the branch of David, but he is also a part of that branch. It's what mystified the theologians of the day when they weren't sure what to make of Jesus. And he said, well, you know what? When David says in Psalm 110, my Lord said to my Lord, who, who is he speaking to there? Who's the Lord? Because you see, Jesus is Lord and God, but he is also man. Even here at the very end of the book, we're reminded of the centrality of that truth. And this is a truth that the world rejects. The world has always rejected that Jesus is the God-man. They will make him a great teacher, but not God. Or they will think of him as some kind of a God who was not really man. But we know the great truth of the scriptures that Jesus is like us and yet so unlike us. He is the perfect leader. He is our king and our God. But it, it also describes what he brings for us in, in an interesting way. He is the bright morning star. Now, when you think of the morning star, you think on the one hand of light and light bringing. But on the other hand, it's called the morning star for a reason, right? Because it, it inaugurates the day. It lets us know the day is coming. It is a sign of the day. And that is what Jesus is. He is not just the one who is the light. He is the one that lets us know that the day has arrived for us. The gospel day has arrived in Jesus. The fulfillment of all things. Jesus has come. The day of salvation has come to you if you have by faith trusted in Christ. The dawn of your new life, of new creation, has come because the day star has arisen in your hearts. He also brings the assurance of a better and brighter day, doesn't he? I mean, when we hear a prayer request about someone who's just sitting in traffic and whose life is cut short and sadness is brought, we're sad, but we're also, I think, angry. Why does life have to be like that? When we hear of friends who are, who are imprisoned, we're angry. Why does life have to be unjust? When we have difficulties with our finances, we wonder why do we have to struggle so hard? And what Jesus brings to us is the knowledge that a brighter day is coming. But all of our tears and fears will be washed away. Because the last thing that that great morning star, our Lord Jesus Christ, brings is the eternal day. That day will dawn, and it will be a day without end. Well, if this is the Jesus who brings to us all of these great blessings, where do we find this in the Bible? We find this in the promise of God. And Revelation 22 reminds us that this promise is permanent. Revelation is a very interesting book. It is a covenantal book. It is, in a very real way, similar in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy and its promises and covenantal obligations, and to other Old Testament prophets describing covenantal obligations. We see all the time language in it that we are not to tamper with this book. We are to follow its dictates. We are to obey. We are to 
follow the Lord, much like in the book of Deuteronomy. We are called that we are ones who are, in verse 7, to keep the words of the prophecy of this book. We are ones who, in verse 18, are not to add to the words of the prophecy of this book. And in verse 14, we are to wash our robes. We are called to do things in this book. This is a book not to be taken lightly. And I think it's because Revelation highlights for us the permanent difference between those who trust in Christ and those who do not. Revelation does that in a, in a way that even Paul and the epistles and the gospels cannot because it is describing the very end. Revelation tells us, reminds us of something we should know today, that there is no second chance. In eternity, we will live with the consequences of our decisions. We see this here in verse 11. John puts it in a way that's stark. He says, let the evildoer still do evil. And let the filthy be filthy still. He says, the righteous will continue to be right and the holy will still be holy. You see, there comes a point of permanence when there is no more repentance, when there is no more second chance, because all of the ugliness of life is separated out from God and Jesus forever. It's why there is ugliness outside. We see here, those who are outside the gates, in verse 15, are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral and the murderers and the idolaters. They have all been separated out. And we need to be reminded that this critical road comes before all of us. This is the fulfillment of another Genesis prophecy. Do you remember in Genesis 12 when God spoke to Abraham? He said, I will bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you. This is the curse. Those who reject the faith of Abraham, those who reject the seed of Abraham, are cursed forever. Now is the time to seek Jesus Christ, to seek Him with all your heart, not to wait, for we're not promised tomorrow, because you see, there's another thing that Revelation 22 reminds us. That is that Jesus is coming back, and his coming back is near. There is an anticipation of nearness. And I think, if, if I must confess, sometimes this seems odd. If we look at verse 6, we see that these things have been shown to John what must soon take place. And we hear other language about, come soon, Lord Jesus. Surely I am coming soon. And we look at this and we wonder, what does the word soon mean? John wrote this a few thousand years ago. And perhaps we're tempted to scratch our heads and say, John, I really don't think this word means what you think it means. But I think it's because we're focused again on ourselves and not on God. You see, the soonness is not for us chronologically. The soonness relates to God's purpose and plan. And we need to understand that we are living today in the last days. 
They were inaugurated by the Incarnation. They were begun in earnest in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were going forth in full force at Pentecost and the New Testament church. You see, from God's perspective, it is very near. And we see this. John does something a bit odd, or he's told to do something a bit odd here in verse 10. He is told not to seal up the words of the prophecy. Now that is in direct contrast. You may recall when we looked at the book of Daniel, Daniel was told to seal up the book. And that's because for Daniel, these days were afar off. They belonged to another epoch. They belonged to another age. But now these words are for you and for me because we are living in these last days. And we should look and long for the return of Jesus with a nearness and with an expectation, with a great desire, a desire to be prepared and ready to meet God. This is what drives the Christian. We don't know when the Lord will come back. This past year that has been shown to us, underlined and in technicolor. But we do know that we are to be ready for him to come back at any time. There's a wonderful little vignette from Charles Wesley, or excuse me, John Wesley, who had a way with words. Someone asked him what he would do if the Lord came back tomorrow. And he took out the equivalent of his day planner. And he turned to that day and he said, this is what I will be doing. And you see, that's how the Christian lives. In light of eternity, but in the day. Because our day is affected by eternity. We should be living lives that are affected by the gospel and the coming return of Jesus Christ every day. We should be mortifying sin every day. We should be longing to know more of our Lord every day. We should be longing to see His kingdom built every day. In all of our things that we do. We don't guess at when the Lord will come so that we can sell all our goods or do some other thing. No, we are to do exactly what we are called to do here and now today. Raise children. Watch grandchildren. Work hard and industrious and honestly at work. Encourage others. That's what we are called to do because of the nearness of Christ. Because you see, this urgency is something that we should be infectious with. You see it here in this call of an invitation to come. Our fifth theme. In verse 17, the spirit and the bride. They say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Now, as we first look at this, we may think what they're saying is, they're asking Jesus to come now. But the end of that verse makes it clear that they're talking about something else. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You see, the Lord says come. And we who hear the words of this prophecy and understand it, we say to others, come and come now. Come to the living waters who find their source in Jesus Christ. 
Come and find pardon and holiness and glory in Jesus. Now, why is it put this way? It's put in a sense of urgency to to assist and to help and to remind people to overcome their reluctance. The freeness of it is described to help those overcome despair or depression. You see, this invitation to come to Jesus is an urgent one, and it is a free one. And that is how we are to issue that call. Well, finally, and in conclusion, we see here in this last chapter the constancy of the promise of God. The Bible is one book, and it has one promise from the very first until now we're seeing the last. And that promise is the Lord is gathering to himself a people, and he will let nothing stand in his way. Not false gods, not sin, not death, not even the need for redemption in the sacrifice of his son. That promise remains constant because it comes from him, not from us. Because he is the focus, not us. And it never changes. The end of this book reminds us of this because you see there is a sense in which this is the end of the Bible story, but it is also not because we are the end of the Bible story. We are walking to the celestial city. We are longing to eat the fruit of the tree of life. We are longing to come to the water of the river of life. And that is what John is pointing us to. You see, the Bible in and of itself has great worth and purpose because it points us to Jesus. Is he all your longing? If he is, then you have understood properly the book of Revelation. Its value and its worth is not in understanding and untangling all of the details of the future. Its value is that it is the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is what it is called. It is not as some make an error and say, revelations. It is the revelation of Jesus. If you long to see him, then you will study his word and you will long to say with the church throughout the ages, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have met with us and that you have encouraged us in your word and that you have reminded us that you are indeed coming quickly. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would use this knowledge in our lives to build us up and to empower us to face the world. We ask all of this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Amen.